in the morning when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my f***ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My f***ing ass. With Graney and Bischoff. Rip them mother Rip them cuckoo suckers like the f***ing players. The front page is brought to you by Bonkers Comedy Club. The Suncoast Hotel and Casino is the place to eat, drink, and laugh. Check out Bonkers Comedy every Saturday night. Shows at 7 and 9.30. The Bucks and Chiefs will play in Tampa. That game was potentially going to be moved to Minnesota because of Hurricane Ian, but it is going to stay in Tampa. Uh, this is Sunday Night Football, by the way. The Buccaneers, who, uh, what was it, Scotty Miller had the most targets or something like that in their game last weekend. Mike Evans is back from his suspension. Julio Jones and Chris Godwin could be back. They both missed because of injury last week, but they have both practiced in some form so far this week. Do you think it's as simple as Tampa Bay's offense has sucked because they haven't had wide receivers? I mean, I think it's as simple as you don't want the fifth stringers out there, which I think they've had (laughs) in the last several weeks. Yeah, they've got to be better. I want to ask you this. I heard this yesterday. I'm kind of torn on this. Bad optics to play there? Probably, although Tampa didn't get hit as hard as they were expecting. Right, but just the but it, there was across that state. I can't remember who tweeted it, but there was uh, one reporter who tweeted that the, the game would stay in Tampa if they felt like they had enough resources to handle the hurricane relief efforts in Tampa. So apparently they think they have enough resources. How realistic is that? I don't actually know, but yeah, I mean, probably to some extent, but as far as I know, people in Tampa are relatively okay compared to the Southern part Mm -hmm. of that state. So I guess it it depends. Is it to me, if it was just the city of Tampa, it's probably not bad optics, but is it bad optics? Because what an hour South of you got is destroyed, crushed by a hurricane, right? Maybe. I don't know. But like the Dolphins, it wasn't in Miami, but the Dolphins did just play a game and are going back to practice and they're not far away from the place that got crushed too. Oh, you know, I can't tell you that. Justin Herbert was a full participant in practice on Thursday. It's his first full practice since he hurt his ribs. He's playing the whole season, yeah, isn't he? He's playing the whole season. They <laughs> they each week they will have an ultrasound. They will stick the needle in. They will find out where the cartilage is all screwed up and they will shoot him up. Do they have to do the ultrasound every week? I think they have to do uh-huh. the ultrasound. Well, you you want them to do the ultrasound yeah, every week. You don't want them shooting don't want the wrong area. Floating around in yeah. there. Uh, you don't want that needle just running free. So as we talk about the AFC West and what this division is gonna look like, the Chargers are one and two. But fortunately for them, they're playing the Houston Texans, who are what are they, oh two and one? So far on the season, um, they kind of have to win this game. Otherwise, they're one yes. and three, and they're right there with the Raiders. If the Raiders win, they're right there with the Raiders as the last team in the AFC West. And again, you're ca- you're having to catch a really good team in Kansas City. You can't really afford to start one and three and think you're going to do that. It's a it's a weird situation, but I I think he's playing the whole year, and I think the Chargers are pushing through this even if they don't look any good. Daddy had a breakaway. The Bills host the Ravens on Sunday. Are these the two best <laughs> yes, teams in the, the two AFC? Best teams in the AFC. All right. Are they the two best teams in the league? Good question. If Philly's the only undefeated, you think you Philly's love Philly? Better? You love Philly. You think it's the best team in the league? No, no. I think they're going to be in the Super Bowl. I think oh. they're the best team in the NFC. AFC? Yes. What about Tampa? 
Maybe, but I think they're sucks. really good. Yeah, yeah their defense is really good, though. Yeah, and I, I listen. If you believe, hey, Julio, Godwin, Evans, all they're three all coming back, back, and they're fine. Their offense should be better. If that's it, if you truly believe it's just the receivers they were playing with Scotty Miller, and that's why the offenses look bad for a couple of weeks, then Tampa should be right. There. Did they ever elevate Cole Beasley? Uh yes, yeah. He was out there last because, week because uh, I was. They did. Cole, yeah, Cole was out there. The least surprising post game handshake and hug was Cole Beasley and Aaron Rodgers. Well, yeah. And I, I, I'm with you, brother. I'm I, with you. I, and I'm listen. That's what they said. When I saw them say hi after the game, I was like, "How did Aaron Rodgers not push for the Packers to sign Cole, <laughs> Cole Beasley? Beasley exactly. How is that not his guy now?" But they didn't, and he's on Tampa. But that was the least surprising post game hug. I, uh, what was the question again? I'm sorry. I just got. <laughs> All right, uh, I'm biased on this, so I'm going to have to get your opinion. Dusty Baker, manager of the Astros, says he is not going to give his players off days the rest of the season. They have six games left. They play the Rays and the Phillies, who are both in a playoff chase, and Dusty Baker said he's playing his regular starters for the integrity of the game. Oh, God. Astros have already clinched the AL West. Astros have already clinched a bye. They need one win or one Yankees loss to clinch home field in the American League. Doc Roberts is doing the same thing. And I don't like it. I don't like what most Doc does. He's got 108 wins, franchise record. And I don't like most of what Doc does. Oh, the integrity of the game. So, okay. I think saying we're doing this for the integrity of the game is stupid, right? The idea that, that doesn't oh, make any sense. The Phillies and Brewers are tied for the last wild card. So yeah. we got to give it our all to right. beat them and see if they can miss the postseason. But the position the Astros and Dodgers are in. And the Yankees are in it, and whoever wins the AL East is going to be in it. There are five days off from the end of the regular season until the first game for the teams that get a bye. So they're not in it, right? Right. So as long as if you're not in the wild card round, right. you get five full days off. I think I'm perfectly fine with playing all the starters through the end of the season because they're going to get five days off. And for some guys, I'm sure that's actually going to be a problem. I'm sure there's going to be guys that are like, I don't want five days off and if you were resting guys in these final six games now all of a sudden it's like ah Jose Altuve's okay, played two fine, games but it's not for the weeks. integrity of the right. game right I think that's a stupid I think that's a stupid reason to give but I absolutely believe Dusty Baker believes that, that I'd have like, a better I'd have a better uh approval of it if like what you just said uh Mookie thinks he'll lose something because he's going to have so much time right. off you, and they're going right. to lose their swings or they're going to lose their rhythm or whatever. If you're like, we don't want Mookie Betts playing twice in 12 days right. going exactly. into the postseason, I could get it. But And here's the thing. Dusty Baker absolutely believes in the integrity of the game. He absolutely is like, oh, if the, if the Astros were like 52 and 100 or something, he'd be like, we got to give it our all yeah. to knock the Phillies out of the playoffs. That's exactly what he would think. Okay. Silence. Okay. <laughs> all right. Tell me if you love this quote or not. This is Carlos Correa. He got asked after yesterday's game about re-signing with the Twins. He said, when I go to the mall and I go to the Dior store and I want something, I get it. I ask how much it costs and I buy it. If you really want something, you just go get it. I'm the product here. So if they want my product, they just got to come get it. Minnesota fans love hearing stuff gonna, like this. I was going to say, this Minnesota over oh, here. Oh, boy. There's yeah. a lot of uh, backlash from that. And, you know, they obviously didn't make the playoffs. And I wouldn't really say that he had the greatest of years. But, I mean, he's right. You just don't have to say it like that, you know? 
Uh, okay, here, here's my question. Is there a Dior store in the Mall of America? First of all, we invented the shopping mall, so That's check true. yourself at That's the door. True. That's why I said. We for sure have Dior in Edina. There's plenty of Dior. There's plenty of all that stuff. The Louis Vuitton. The all. I don't even know any of the, This is not Well, can you avenue. say it? Can you say it in, in the in Dior? Can you say it in the... I was, no, that was you, an East Coast at I Dior. Know. Yeah. No, was, it's just Dior. Okay. See, I wanted Minnesota accents. There's no, there's no accent saying Dior. Why not? Because the, I don't you know, say, the D is silent. I don't know. <laughs> I've, never, I've, never sho- I've never shopped there. Me either. I don't even know what they sell. <laughs> that's, that's a good question. What do they sell? Potion seller. I don't know why Carlos Correa is there because I have no idea what they store. Uh, sell. So here's what Correa has. He has a player option from it for Minnesota next year. He can come back to the Twins uh, with a player option. I think it's $35 million. But he reportedly wanted this past offseason the 10-year, $300 million deal, similar to what Corey Seager got. Zero percent chance it happens in Minnesota. Yeah, that's not happening with the Twins. That's never happening. I think he's going to be in the same spot he was last offseason where there's not a team that wants to give him 10 years, $300-plus million. Because are the Dodgers going to do it? I think they're going to sign Trey Turner. Are the Yankees going to do it? Probably not. Uh, they, no, they have someone else to try to resign Aaron Unless Judge. he walks. And True. then it becomes what other teams are willing to give out a 10-year, $300 million deal. Now, the, the Rangers did it, right? A surprise team who spent a bunch of money in free agency. So maybe there's a team out there that's like, yep, we're going to spend money in free agency and Correa's our guy. But I do think he might have the same problem where there's not a team willing to give him the 10-year deal that he wants. And he might be back in Minnesota for $35 million, or he might re-sign or sign with a different team for a you know, two or three year deal where he gets paid 38 million a year or something like that. Those are great. That's, that's another great question. Do you think Trevor Lawrence is just happy to have a real football coach? Yes. Can um, you, well, can you imagine having gone through, you know, who, and now you have someone you who's know absolutely who would be afraid to say, I don't, I don't say his name. Must not be I, named. I do not say his name. He must not be named. Uh, and now having like a somewhat normal person. So they're coming off the blowout went over the chargers. Jacksonville's two and one. And Trevor Lawrence just said, obviously, the way we've played, you can't deny that we are a really good team. And I just love that quote, given how terrible and dysfunctional they were last year. Like, they've played three games this year, and Trevor Lawrence is like, listen, obviously, we're a good team. We didn't show it last year under that guy, but clearly, we're a good team. And I love that, because they were horrible last year, and the insinuation is that they probably could have been a borderline playoff team. If not for you-know-who. If they just had a normal, competent NFL head coach. And now Trevor Lawrence is potentially going to be the quarterback that everyone thought he was going to be right. coming out of college, which was the best prospect in, whatever, a decade, two Since decades. Andrew Luck. Like yeah. And I just, I hiring Urban Meyer, him being gone after, it's it's just incredible. he get another job. How Jacksonville. he get a college job. Nebraska, yeah, Nebraska want. wants him. Nebraska. He, but Nebraska fans job. want him. I don't know if their athletic department wants him. Nebraska fans are chanting yeah. that we want Urban at games. They got shirts that say it. I'm desperate. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty detailed question. Uh, <laughs> college foot, The college football playoff <laughs> will likely have weeknight games. Bill Hancock said, I'd be very surprised if all four games in the first round would be on a Saturday. You'd like to have each game on its own window. So this is... Uh, Translation, television wants it that way. Right. This would be the 5 through 12 seeds playing in that first round. This would be games on college campuses. So what we're getting out of this, whenever they do expand most likely, is... Early to mid-December, we're probably going to have Thursday, Friday, and then two on Saturday. Yeah. 
college football playoff TV. games, and I literally can't wait. That is going to be an incredible sure. four days of college football. You'd much rather have it that way than all in the yes. same day. Yes. Thursday, Friday, two on set. It's going to be phenomenal. So I am all on board. The only people that maybe get screwed, even though, no, they're in the playoff, they'll be there. But I was going to say the home crowds for whoever gets the Thursday game, that kind of sucks a little bit. But What, because it's late? It's, it'll be a late weekday game, right? you got to right. get up and go to work the next day. But they'll probably still be fine. Shouldn't be a big deal. So very excited about four, three straight days probably of the college football playoffs. Coming up next, we'll get into some UNLV football as they look to go four and one. The front page is brought to you by Bonkers Comedy Club at the Suncoast. The Suncoast Hotel and Casino is the place to eat, drink, and laugh. Check out Bonkers Comedy every Saturday night with shows at 7 and 9.30. Aggies from the Rebel 41. Bonner back to throw. This time he's pressured and he's finally sacked. And the ball came popping out. And I, I don't know if they're going to rule that a fumble. We don't or an know what they're going to rule. The ball came out as he was trying to make the pass and jumping on it for the Rebels. Ruling on the field is a fumble recovered by the defense. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Tonight, UNLV football is going for 4-1. and one. The last time UNLV was 4-1 and one was all the way back in 2003. So it's almost been two decades. Uh, by the way, that team that started four and one, they ended six and six. So All right. they still got to bowl eligibility. They got to bowl eligibility. That's what you. That's what you're looking for. Quickly downhill after that. Uh, they are favored by 14 points against New Mexico. Do you feel that is too high no, for UNLV? Not the way they played at home, and not the way New Mexico's played with wins over New Mexico. Who they beat? Maine and UTEP. Although UTEP got Boise. There's, so, yeah, there's a nice circle there of UTEP, a, Boise, and New Mexico. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's too much. I think they've played really well at home. And I know who they played. I know that's the next statement. Idaho State and North Texas. But how much better is New Mexico than those teams? Well, they're probably much better than Idaho State. because Okay, throw is, Idaho State out. atrocious. San Diego State scored over 30 against right. them. And they can't score 30 against air. So... so <laughs> It's, I mean, yeah, do they score 30 in their practices? I'm, I, there's just no <laughs> chance they score 30 in their practices. Um, but North Texas, I do wonder. North Texas's defense has been bad against everybody this year, except for like uh, one game, one or two games. Um, North Texas does not have a good defense. I'm not expecting New Mexico to be any good in this, right? They, they have a win over an FCS team in Maine and then that win over UTEP. But they got blown out by LSU, which pretty much everybody in the Mountain West would, and they got beat pretty handily by Boise State. Um, New Mexico, I will say this, New Mexico is 2-2, two and two, and they've won exactly two games in each of the three previous seasons. So New Mexico and UNLV have kind of been the worst teams in the Mountain West for a while. Yeah, and both teams are better than they have been in the past. Now, UNLV has probably taken a bigger step than New Mexico, but I do think New Mexico is better than usual. But UNLV at home... I don't think 14 is bad. Do you think they cover? I'm going to say they cover. So here's here's positive the, guy about UNLV over here. Here's the interesting part that I'm I'm kind of curious to see um, what happens for UNLV this year. UNLV has one turnover. Doug Brumfield threw an interception. Now, if you remember, you can go back to the Idaho State game. Remember, Doug Brumfield fumbled. I think it was the first time he dropped back to pass. UNLV fell on it. But they have not lost a fumble this year, and he's only thrown that one pick. 
I think he's probably only other had maybe two other passes that you could say should have been picked off too. He's been very, very good. Meanwhile, UNLV has nine interceptions and they've recovered one fumble. So their turnover margin on the year is plus nine. Mm-hmm. My main question for UNLV is does that keep up? Oh, and by the way, plus nine is second best in the country. Does that continue? There, I mean, I don't know what you think, but I think they're just so much better defensively. I, I think, think so, too. Uh, now, it's all relative because they've been horrible defensively, right? You, yes. It's I mean, not, it's all relative. Yes. It's not like you're not going from, hey, you're number 18 to number 10. Yeah. I mean, they haven't been good defensively, but I think they're much, much better defensively. Um, so can it keep up in a bad Mountain West? There's every chance it can. So my thought is that if you if you told me right now that the turnover margin in this game is zero, that both teams either don't turn it over. They, or they both have the same amount of right. turnovers. I think UNLV covers 14, and I think they do it kind of easily, right? But I believe, because it's football, and UNLV's been, I don't know if lucky's the right word, but UNLV's been, had a very good turnover margin. They've not had a game where they've had a bad turnover margin. I believe that's coming at some point. There's going to be a game where you, I mean, you just fumble. It happens. You fumble the ball in games and the other team might recover one. It could happen on a punt. It could be a quarterback, could be a running back, could be a receiver. I also think there's going to be interceptions thrown. Whether Brumfield makes bad throws or not, I think there's going to be more interceptions than we've seen. But that's the thing with football. That's the hardest part to predict is the turnovers. Yeah. But I do, I you do, don't know which game it's going to happen right. in. I do think there's going to be at least a game, and probably two or three, where UNLV had, they lose a game because of the turnover margin. And here's the crazy part. I'm sitting here telling you that the only way UNLV loses this game is if they if they have like a fluky turnover margin game. That's how, like the expectations have risen so high so quickly for this team, where in the past I'd be like, well, they need to go plus four in turnovers to have a shot. Now it's like, as long as they're not minus four, they're going to win this game. I really think they are. Now, I, again, there's going to be a game at some point where that happens. And here's the other key on the turnovers. UNLV's allowed 13 sacks already this season. They've allowed the third most in the Mountain West. Getting sacked that much is going to lead to more turnovers, right? Because when you get sacked, A, you're more likely to fumble the ball. But also, when you're under pressure and getting sacked. You're more sacked, likely to throw the ball to someone else. Right. And Doug Brumfield has not been good under pressure. He's been spectacular when the pocket's clean, but he has not been good under pressure. I do think we're going to see a big uptick in turnovers from UNLV. And if they're minus three or something in this game, they might lose. But if they're even in this game, I, I think they're handling this very, very well. Oh, and the other the other key for this game that I meant to mention, New Mexico has 14 sacks this year. They're second uh, most in the Mountain West. But they also give up a ton. Yeah, so you're you're looking at two teams that are both in the top three of sacks and by sacks their allowed. defense and sacks allowed. Right. So... There probably should be a lot of sacks in this game, and that's probably going to lead to some extra turnovers, would be my guess. And it's just a matter of, does UNLV come out on top? And their UNLV's rushing defense is really good, and what does New Mexico do? Oh, well, they don't throw the ball very well. Right, exactly. So, and that's that might be one of the simple things. I, may, maybe I'm over, it's oversimplifying it, but so far this year, UNLV leads the Mountain West in rushing yards per game and yards per carry allowed. Uh, they do allow the most passing yards per game, and they're allowing a top three completion percentage and top three yards per attempt. Um, but I do think it's maybe oversimplistic to just simply say they stop the run and New Mexico runs. Right. If when UNLV plays somebody, if that team has a good quarterback, UNLV probably loses. But if that team doesn't have a good quarterback, UNLV probably wins. I think that it's, it's an oversimplification, but I think that's what it's going to be when they play a good quarterback. 
because their secondary is still not good. They've got the nine picks, which is a huge number. But when they play a good quarterback, they're probably going to lose. When they play a bad quarterback, they're probably going to win. And then you start going through the schedule. How many good quarterbacks do they play? Again, is the Fresno State kid healthy? I mean, J.K. Uh, Hayner would be one. And he's not playing this week. Uh, Notre Dame does not have a good quarterback. Uh, now, granted, Notre Dame's bad quarterbacks would still probably be a top three quarterback in the Mountain West. Right. But Notre Dame's not a team built San Diego State, by no. the quarterback. San Diego State doesn't. Uh, I don't know. Air Force doesn't. I'm not going to say. Now, that's the game. I'm telling you, um, even when it was when they got to 1-0 and and, and now they're 3-1, and one, that's the game I want to see more than anything. Right. I so, want to see if they can. Last year, it was just ridiculous how they couldn't stop yeah. them. Being good against the run doesn't always apply to when you play Air Force. Just because no, that's, no, completely different. Right. But I do think, but you go through it like Fresno State, if Hayner's healthy. How good is the San Jose State Probably as a quarterback. That's probably the second best quarterback they're going to play the rest of the season, right? I mean, that's Nevada's offense has been solid this year. Their defense has been what's a train wreck. So maybe Hawaii maybe is Nevada, just a train wreck. Hawaii, they're going to fold the program. But... <laughs> UNLV, and if if it's as simple as good quarterback, they lose. They don't play many good quarterbacks. Right. Like it said, the way their defense is structured, they're set up pretty well for their schedule because they're if they like obviously the Big Twelve would be much better. But if they were in a Big Twelve type conference, you'd be like, oh, you can't defend the pass. You're losing a bunch of games, even if you are good. But there's just not many good quarterbacks on this schedule, and so if UNLV's defense is going to stay this good against the run. They're probably not giving up 28 points very often. I could have written just with all these stats we're talking about. I could have already written the column. There you go. I, I could have already written the column. Yes. That they that they covered. Plug and in you're the going score, to cover a preseason hockey score. game. So instead of going to the preseason hockey Marcus game. Marcus Arroyo should call you out. <laughs> Maybe block me. Yeah, block you on Twitter. <laughs> Maybe block me on Twitter. Going to cover a hockey team. Get <laughs> out of here, Ed Graney. Get out of here. So... We both think UNLV's winning. Um, I think they're covering. I, I think I think they're covering too. Yeah, I think they're covering fourteen, and it's not remotely close, barring some crazy turnover game, which I, again is possible. Coming up next, Ben Goach joins the show. Yeah, uh, I think it's going pretty well so far. The plan's working, <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I want to make it as hard as possible for them. And uh, I mean, my goal is to make this team. I think I can do it. So um, just gotta keep going. Joining us now from the Review Journal is Ben Goats. Good morning, Ben. Hello, Benjamin. How are you? Good morning, guys. I'm good. How are you? Uh, All right. Is Paul Cotter scoring 30 goals this year? I mean, it's Paul Cotter's world, and we're all just living in it, right? I mean, right now, he's at a preseason pace of uh, a point per game. So, you know, if he gets 82 points in the regular season, yeah, you're probably getting 30 goals uh, out of him. Uh, No, I mean, obviously, I don't think. You know, if he were to make this team, which sure seems more likely than not at this point, I don't think he's quite getting 30 goals, but I do think he could be a guy that could provide at least a little bit of pop in the bottom six. He had 19 goals in about 60 games for Henderson last year, so he's scoring about a goal every three games. So he's shown at multiple levels, including the NHL last year, he does know how to put the puck in the net, and I think that's something that sets, sets him apart from some of these other kind of young bottom six options they're evaluating so far in training camp. And, you know, with the question marks this team has about secondary scoring and just scoring kind of overall heading into this year, I think that trade could really be something that sticks out to Coach Bruce Cassidy and his staff when, 
you know, they ultimately do have to sit down and decide which 23 guys they're going to open the season with. How many guys could score 30? Not a whole lot. I mean, obviously Jack Eichel is a guy that could do it. Jonathan Marsh or so did it last year. That was the second 30-goal season of his career. William Carlson has done it once, but never again. And with the fact that it looks like he might be starting on the third line, I don't know if they're necessarily counting on that. Mark Stone has done it, but obviously you're worried about the back injury. And I think there's a lot of questions about what you're going to get out of former 40 goal or 30 goal scorer Phil Castle at this point in his career. Uh, they certainly have guys who are capable. They have guys who have good shots, good releases, have shown the ability to be NHL goaltenders throughout their career. But all of them come with some sort of significant question mark, right? Which is one of the things that I think is really interesting and fascinating about this team is that there are a lot of ways you can talk yourself into this team going right. There's a lot of ways you can talk yourself into this team going wrong as well. And so it's going to be really interesting to see how they ultimately hit the ground running and what questions they're able to answer early on in the season, especially because they do open with a pretty tough slate and a lot of road games. Is Mark Stone playing tonight? It seems like there could be a decent chance. We don't know for sure, but basically Mark Stone said he feels good. He feels that he could potentially get into a game yesterday speaking to him in the locker room. Uh, Bruce Cassidy basically said after the team had a pretty lengthy scrimmage, both five-on-five and then special teams and some situational work yesterday, that if Stone kind of came out of that feeling good, that they would potentially look at him as an option for tonight. I do think it's pretty likely he goes either tonight or their final home game of the preseason on Tuesday. Uh, Stone said he wanted to get a preseason or game or two in. Cassidy said he wanted that for him as well. Stone said you feel like you're behind the eight ball if you don't get one. And I think having him play at home would obviously be a lot easier than trying to fit him in to one of those last two preseason games where they're going to Salt Lake City or Boise, same-day travel, I believe, uh, both times. That's just not something you necessarily want to put someone through when they're trying to recover from a surgically repaired back. So I would guess that they are looking at either tonight or Tuesday for him, and I wouldn't be surprised if you know he comes out onto the ice this morning, they're practicing at 9 and 11. If he looks good to go, I would imagine he's coming in. Yeah, uh, I know it's been preseason, and the guys they're playing uh, often aren't great. We saw that the other night, but you and I were talking yesterday. Are you surprised at how quickly it at least appears from the outside looking in they pick things up defensively? I am. I thought they've been really good defensively, especially five-on-five through three games. I believe they only gave up two high-danger scoring chances to Colorado uh, the entire game on Wednesday. Uh, now, as you said, uh, Colorado was not icing a lineup uh, full of guys you expect the Stanley Cup champions to be rolling out for their next playoff push. But still, it does seem like guys have learned their responsibilities pretty quickly in terms of when to come up on an opposing player, when to back off, when to pass off guys. There was a number of times where I was seeing young guys like Caden Korzak and Lane Nahak really look comfortable in terms of this is how far I kind of go with the guy and then when I get to this spot in the defensive zone, then I pass them off to a forward and I immediately kind of backpedal back to my own net. It does seem like they have picked up on some things really quickly. There's still obviously going to be a lot of teams to iron out, especially if they get more of the NHL defensemen in there. We still haven't seen Alec Martinez, for instance, Nick Hague, 
is not in camp, and we still don't know when he's going to show up. So there are going to be some wrinkles they're going to have to work out. Uh, we even saw that in the goal that they allowed against Colorado, where you know Bruce Cassidy talked about how now that the fact that they're going to have these defensemen a lot closer to the net means that goalies are going to have to fight through traffic and still track their rebounds really well in this system, and that's something that Thompson did not do on that goal that he gave up, and he took the blame for that after the game. So there are little subtleties like that that they're still going to be working on, and I would expect it would still be a work in progress going into the regular season. Uh, but so far, it seems to kind of a lot of the intense practice sessions they've done so far this training camp, more intense than I definitely remember a piece of board camp being, they have picked up some of the fundamentals of this new zone scheme in the defensive zone pretty fast. So good defensively, but not sure who's going to be able to score 30 goals this year. Are they about to be one of the most boring teams in hockey with every game at 2-1? to one? I mean, it's very possible. I mean, that was the way that a lot of Cassidy Boston Bruins teams worked, right? They were, you know, number one in terms of limiting scoring chances last year, but on a team with, you know, star players like Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, and David Kosternock, I believe they're like middle of the pack in five-on-five goals the night with all of their injuries, all of the things you could say about why they could have been limited last year were better at scoring goals five-on-five than the Boston Bruins. Uh, that's just kind of the way the Cassidy teams play. And you could certainly say that that style probably fits this version of the Knights better now that they are missing goal scorers like Max Pacioretty and Evgeny Dodonov going into this year. And so this might be a way of playing that suits their current personnel a little bit more. But it definitely, unless they get the power play clicking and they're able to count on that for a goal or so a night, I think there are going to be a lot of Two one three to two hockey games this year for the Knights, where they're going to try to make not a lot happen, especially in their own end at five on five. How good can the power play be then? That's a obviously very good question. I think you've got some good building blocks, and of course, Jack Eichel, Phil Kessel. You've got a coach in Bruce Cassidy who's been used to having good power plays in Boston, and when you talk to him about it, really, really thinks through power plays very well. Cassidy, back in his day, was a puck-moving defenseman, so I think he really likes getting into the nitty-gritty and that kind of stuff, the power play stuff. But I think you have a lot of questions about, you know, how much of the last couple years of power play production under Pete DeBoer were his system and what he was trying to do, and how much was just the personnel being limited in what they can do when the other team is down to me, and they really are forced to break a team down in the zone and without relying on transition goals. That was something that they've just struggled with over the last couple of years. So does adding you know, weapons like Jack Eichel and Phil Kessel fix that, make everyone better? Does having a mind like Bruce Cassidy you know, tweak some things? Or are there just enough pieces on this roster who are limited in that way, and that kind of ends up holding them back? I think we kind of ultimately probably end up in the middle somewhere this night team where they're not going to be you know, a potential kind of top five unit like the Bruins were some years under Bruce Cassidy, but they're probably not going to be 25th in the NHL like they were last year with the Knights. I'd expect them to be middle of the pack. That would certainly help a lot, given that they were one of the worst teams in terms of special teams goal differential last year. That can be a boost, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be you know the savior either, where that's something that they're going to be able to rely on every night to consistently put the puck in the net. I think it's going to be a very much a work in progress. Does Nick Haig sign before the season starts? 
I would say yes, but so far I've been proven wrong in a lot of cases with this before. It sure seems like they were motivated to get something done before camp. He's not here. Preseason games are going on. Uh, he's still not here. So who knows how long it's going to drag out at this point. We did see uh, one of the only other remaining restricted free agent defensemen, Rasmus Sandin, in Toronto signed yesterday. Uh, I don't know if that's going to move the needle or not for Nick Hague, his representative, and the Knights in these negotiations, but it just really does seem like they've been in a staring contest for about, you know, now going on a week or so, and who knows when it's going to end. All I know is that for the Knights, this is probably not an ideal situation to have him miss so much time in camp, heading into what's shaping up to be a pretty important year for this team and a year in which a lot of things are changing, especially in the defensive zone. Well, he is Ben Goats from the Review Journal. Ben, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Ben. No problem. Thanks, guys. So, Nick Hague, do you think he gets signed before the year starts? Season starts? Staring contest, but I believe he gets signed. Because he, uh, he, you? I think he, he gets signed first. I, I think he has to blink first. I don't think they're blinking at him. If I were him, I'd wait until somebody got hurt and then say, "You need me. Come on, you got to pay me now." All right, we got a Porta Subs six foot classic sub to give away. Plus, get you qualified to win a new Yeti cooler thanks to Finley Volvo Cars. So. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. You will get a six-foot classic sub from Porta Subs and be qualified to win a new Yeti cooler thanks to Finley Volvo Cars. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. We'll take caller number four at 702-364-1100. I go to the mall and I go to the Dior store and I want something, I get it. Um, I ask how much it costs and I buy it. So if you really want something, you just, you just go get it. So, yeah, I mean, that's... I'm the product here, and uh, if they want my product, you know, they just got to come get it. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. We still have uh, Eddie Vedder tickets to give away, so stay tuned for that. Uh, Ed, you're not going to like this. It's going to have something to do with the Dodgers not winning the World Series. No, no, no. It's the opposite. Uh, Oh, (laughs) that's not good. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> the Athletic polled a bunch of players in baseball anonymously to ask them about uh, you know, what players they would want on the mound in Game 7, but the question of who will win the World Series. The Dodgers were the runaway answer by current players at 39.5%. Almost 40% of players think the Dodgers are winning the World Series. Boy, do they, do they know about the pitching? 40. Yes, they got the best ERA in baseball. What do you mean, do they know about the pitching? I just don't like it. You know You know how I feel come right on, now. Come on. Ed, how many wins do they have? 108. Okay. Franchise record. What are you worried about? Every time they win one, they just up that franchise right. record. What are you worried about over there? I am worried about the rotation. Um, I will tell you this. The right now fan graphs only gives the Dodgers a 14% chance to win the World Series. Astros are above them. They are at 18%. The Astros are number one. The Mets are also above them, which I'm a little confused about. Really? Well, again, DeGrom and Scherzer. make a lot of sense, though. But they haven't even... The, the Mets, if they like lose a couple of games here, might end up in the wild card round. It's true. They play three against Atlanta this weekend. Maybe that's what it is. They're projecting the Mets to win the division because the, if the Mets Mets are brave, whoever wins that division doesn't have to play the Dodgers until the NLCS. Meanwhile, the Dodgers are going to have to play one of the Mets. 
if they win their series, we'll have to play one against of the, the Mets. Padres, yeah, Mets or um, the Braves in the NLCS. Yeah, because the the Dodgers' path is going to be one of Mets Braves most likely, and yeah. then the other one in the NLCS. It's a pretty tough path. It's a pretty tough path. Do you have the, who do you want in a game seven? Is that if you're a Dodger fan or just anybody? That was anybody. So they asked, who do you want on the mound in a game seven? They asked players this. They could pick any pitcher they wanted. Uh, the winner was Jacob deGrom. Number As if you're playing with Jacob deGrom. Yeah, yeah, he's your pitcher. He's your yeah, pitcher? Yeah. Uh, number two was Max Scherzer, and number three was Justin Verlander. Well, now we know why the Mets are such high picks to win the World Series. <laughs> so one two, and two. The one and two pitchers. Are on the same team. Here's the thing, though. Um, I don't want to plan for... Max Scherzer or Jacob DeGrom to be pitching game seven for me because I don't know if either one's going to be healthy for game seven. <laughs> By the time there's a game seven of the World Series, like what are I the might odds, pick Verlander. What are the odds these two guys are both healthy through the entire postseason? Because I'm going with like 2% that both of them stay healthy the entire postseason. Like the last two times Scherzer's been in the postseason... His arm was dead last year. Yeah. Yeah, I, and believe then, me, I remember his arm was dead last year. In 2019, he missed a start because he had shoulder pain, and he had yeah. to get shot up with some painkiller to be able to pitch. Now, he came, he pitched well after he had that painkiller or whatever, but the guy the guy gets hurt every time he's in the postseason, yeah. and then DeGrom, he's pitched like seven games in the last five years. Dead arm, and we've got the cut where he's drunk. Yeah, that's that's where I was going to go. He's going to be if, too drunk? Yeah, he's going to, if he's not, maybe he gets hung over. <laughs> He gets drunk after every uh, win in the postseason. That'd be fun. Uh, I, I don't agree with this. Who do you want to play in, play in the ninth uh, of Game 7? Like, I would not pick Judge. So, why? What? I would rather have Goldschmidt. If I just need a single, if I just need a hit, then I'm taking Goldschmidt. They're, now, if you're down one and you need a home run to tie it, I get that. But I would take Goldschmidt. That sounds like a bad opinion. I don't think it is. <laughs> <laughs> This is the closest we've ever been to first game. What? You're no, telling me. I, I know. I'm not, okay. well, I actually want Shohei Otani, but they never made the playoffs. Well, listen, the number three guy on who you wanted the plate was a Luis Arise of the Twins, and he's not going to be in the postseason. Thanks, oh. Carlos Correa. Yeah. I thought number three would be someone like uh, Freddie Freeman. I mean, it should be Jose Altuve, but they're biased. Yeah. Um, yeah. Here's the thing. Shohei Otani is top five in the American League in home runs and top five in the American League in ERA. Mm-hmm. And Best he's player not, in baseball. And he's not going to win the MVP no. because Aaron Judge is having an unbelievable season. And you want Paul Goldschmidt? I want Paul Goldschmidt. Do I need a single or a home run? Do you have to tell me what I need here? <laughs> Either one, you want Aaron Judge no, at the plate. I don't want him hitting single. I, don't, I, I, I believe in Paul Goldschmidt if I just need a scratch You need hit. a single, and guess what? Aaron Judge is going to hit a home run. Well, you didn't preface it with that. You just said, who do you want at the plate if you need a hit in the, in the ninth the, inning? The players didn't get prefaced that one either. If you just need a single, you probably want Luis Arise. I want Freddie Freeman. The guy's like the best singles hitter in the game. Get up there. But, yeah, they did pick a guy who's not in the postseason as the guy they want third most at the plate in Luis Arise. Um, most intimidating atmosphere. Number one, Yankee Stadium. Number two, Dodger Stadium. Okay. And number three, Minute Maid Park. I'm giving your Minute Maid ahead of the Dodger Stadium. You've been to both. I just I don't foresee... Dodger Stadium is that intimidating. So here, here's the thing with intimidating stadiums. What is that? What's the context there? Outside of college football, in all of our professional sports, the best home atmospheres are almost always the teams that have been good for two or three years in a row. You mean SEC teams? 
No, forget about college football. No, no. College football fans are ridiculous, right? Nebraska's still sold out every game, despite right. they haven't won like four games in like a decade, it seems like. But forget about college football. All of our other like professional sports, though. It's always the teams that are winning, right? Those are the teams that have the best atmosphere. In the in the present. Right. In the so moment. Anytime you pull who has the best atmosphere in the NFL, in Major League Baseball, in the NBA, in hockey, it's going to be the best teams in the league. So when you see oh, the most intimidating atmospheres, it's the three most successful teams over the last five years, the Yankees, the Dodgers, and the Astros. Of course it is. I mean, you've been to Dodger Stadium. I just don't view I've it. I've been there when the Astros play and they hate them, so it was pretty intimidating. <laughs> okay, that would be the one time when the cheaters come in, yes. <laughs> that's 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 the one time when the cheaters Also, the Astros kind of... Um, they kind of cheat a little bit in this because they have a roof that they close, which That's true. makes it louder, right? When you play with a roof, it's going to be louder than when you like Dodger Stadium and Yankee Stadium are open air. So I don't, I don't look at baseball stadiums as intimidating. No, they never. I just, it's, it's not. It's I not mean, a sport that chanting. Really, yeah, it's not a sport that really lends itself to. I mean, the Dodger Stadium still doing the stupid wave. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just don't find it that intimidating. It still, it still does the wave on a nightly basis. Why wouldn't you? And then they're gone by the seventh, and no, I don't, I don't figure it that way. If you're at a game, how do you tell people to stop trying to start the wave? Because I've been in games where somebody in my tell section, them not to do it. Yeah, somebody in my section was trying to start the wave, and I was like, no, just sit down. I want to watch the actual game, not you try for thirty minutes to get the wave started. Yes, you yelled him, or you could be that woman throwing up on people. But the, oh, up the on, Bengals on the poor, the poor oh, kid with yes. the uh, neck brace, just start we vomiting need, on people. We need the Bengals. That's right. So start throwing up on the person starting the wave. I like how you think.